I want to share with you this morning on the theme of our responses to the Lord. Because whatever we believe should affect our decisions, should affect our actions, should provoke us to do something. Amen? And when you first read through the book of Ecclesiastes, usually your reaction will be like, what on earth is this book doing in the Bible? I mean, have you had that reaction? Because that was mine long ago. It seems on the first look to put a greater emphasis on faith rather than faith, on happiness rather than holiness. And the Hebrew word koholet, translated Ecclesiastes, occurs in scripture only in this book. Its meaning is essentially one who convokes or addresses an assembly. Therefore, he's a preacher or one who assembles. And he's identified immediately in the beginning as being the son of David, king in Jerusalem. None fits this description so well as Solomon, for he speaks as one who has received great wisdom and wealth. In it, he surveys all his labors and gains, finding them to be but vanity and vexation of spirit. But if you read it carefully from the start all the way to the end, you will realize that the purpose of Ecclesiastes is to instruct the young on the true values of life, which is to fear God and to keep His commandments. Tradition says that this book reveals an older, more repentant Solomon contemplating his mistakes and what he has learned. And today, um, we're going to just share with you just on four verses, all right? And uh, the first four chapters, Solomon was just lamenting and preaching on the vanity of things, profit of wisdom, profit of pleasure, profit of works, and he's dismantling all of this. Today, we're just going to focus on one chapter, the next chapter, chapter 5, and we're going to look at, um, you can see how Solomon is going to take a break in lamenting the entire universe. And he's going to give us a little oasis here in the midst of his expressions. And Solomon is going to unpack for us how we approach God, how we enter into his presence in the beauty of his holiness. And he's saying, when you're in the different seasons of your life, when you step into the presence of God, when you step into the house of the Lord, this is what you should take note of. And then he's going to say, in the end, at the end of the matter, fear God because God is in the heavens and sometimes he ordains the desert seasons. Um, now, I want to give you a bit of context. I'm a huge context person. But if you can picture with me that Solomon lived in Jerusalem at that time, reigning and ruling with prosperity. And if you're living in Jerusalem at that period, when you go up to the hill at the top of the city, you will see two huge buildings. You will see the palace as well as the temple. And throughout Ecclesiastes, Solomon has repeatedly exposed the meaninglessness of life in this fallen world. The man who has everything in the palace is still searching every day for meaning. If this existence under the sun is all there is, then you will eventually find yourself searching for meaning. Then he saw his fellow subjects, his fellow uh, members of his court, also tried to find meaning by running to the palace. You will try to find fulfillment in putting all your hopes in your career, politics, pleasure, and as mentioned, it's all meaningless. There's such a barrenness in their souls and their hearts. But now, at this very moment, they're trying something different. And the preacher understands this very well by experience and is now giving a directive. So they left the palace and they're going to try the next building. They're attempting to enter the temple because perhaps they heard that this is the place where you can get something out of this. Perhaps you can find blessings here. This is why the preacher suddenly asked the question in the midst of the entire book. He said, what about religious activities? Can we find meaning in the various activities that we surround ourselves with in the temple? 
But in the end, he will conclude that even religion can lead us to a dead-end street. Why? Because religion can be empty if we do not truly know God and fear him. And that's the gist of the entire message. Let me slowly unpack with you what Solomon has discovered. And the targeted audience of this entire book is the children of Israel, God's chosen people, the elect. So these are the group of people who are supposed to know the laws as well as the ways of God. And before I start, when I mention temple uh, in a message, right, in the current cultural context, I'm meaning the house of God. Is that clear? So the house of God means temple. Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says, Guard your steps when you go into the presence, into the house of God. And the little phrase, guard your steps, in the Hebrew literally means to pay attention to your steps, pay attention to the direction of your feet. Here's why. Because unless you're super flexible, the direction of your feet dictates the direction of your life. Am I right? Unless you're moonwalking, right? The direction of your feet dictates where you're going to go. And Solomon is saying, are you paying attention to your feet? Because this place is unlike the palace. Now, why is this so incredibly important? Because throughout the Bible, walking is a metaphor for living. And it's a fitting comparison. As the feet move, so does the body. The scriptures therefore repeatedly encourage us to walk down the path of righteousness and wisdom. And here's why I have found in my own life, as well as walking with countless others um, throughout the many years of shepherding with them, that when life gets difficult, when you enter a dry season or perhaps sin begins to besiege your heart, a lot of us shut down the pursuit of God and cast off restraint, especially in the area of our posture and our speech. And Solomon is warning us to watch, watch this, watch our posture and watch our speech. When we look at scripture, many times the word talks about watching our steps. It has to do with your mouth too. Are you constantly complaining to others when you enter the temple of God? And Solomon is also saying, are you guarding your pursuit? Because for many of us, when things are rough, when things are tough, we just stop pursuing the Lord. But here in verse 1, it says, Guard your steps even though you are down and dry when you enter the house of the Lord. And a lot of us just go and say, Okay, if things are bad, I just stop trying. When all of a sudden we go, Wow, oh, this is hard. I can't find Yahweh. And there's no meaning in my life. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do very little. But I will still enter the presence of God. I will still enter the house of God. But, and what I'm hoping is perhaps... One day, Pastor Young or Pastor Lee will put together the perfect service that will finally make all of this go away. That maybe one Sunday, they will preach the right message and that will solve all my issues. And then as they begin to open up the scriptures, all, the scriptures, all my lust, my anger, my rage will be automatically gone forever. So come on, Pastor. I'm sitting in the back row. Do your job. Make it happen. And you just become so passive and there's no active pursuit on your path. And, and all of a sudden, instead of actively pursuing the Lord, you're just coming to the house of the Lord, sitting down, looking at a preacher and saying, do your thing. Preach your message and heal my heart. And what happens is we stop doing the things that have historically stirred our affections for the Lord and we sit around and wait for the magic to happen that's going to make all of this go away. I want you to know there's no autopilot mode in the Christian life. I don't think I've read about people in the Bible growing in godliness and expanding God's kingdom by cruising along. Amen? There needs to be active pursuit. And one of the things we can practically do is to stop hanging around people who always complain. Start hanging around people who speak life. Hang around those who are on fire. Observe them. Ask them questions. Stay around them. Stay near to them. Amen? Next up is regarding 
uh, on our steps regarding offences. Because some people enter the house of the Lord full of offences and they sit and they steal or they take on the offences and the wounds of others. But one thing about offended people is this. Offended people will spread their offences. And we need to be careful to guard our hearts and our steps so that we have an unoffendable heart. We must tend to the garden of our hearts. When offense, bitterness, or entitlement take roots in our hearts, the weeds begin to grow. And if we do not pull out the weeds and throw it away and tend to the garden of our heart, the fruit of our heart will eventually wither and die, and the weeds of offense will take over. And one of our greatest responsibilities as disciples of the great high king is to care for the health of our heart and to tend to the weeds of bitterness and offense. Because even Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Amen? So guard your feet when you step into the presence of the Lord. He's holy. Look at your feet. They'll tell you the direction that you're going. Are you in active pursuit? And let's look at the next sentence. The next sentence is pretty big. And uh, honestly, I think it's quite frustrating for those of you who find yourselves in a dry season. And we are still in verse 1, all right? But it's the second part of verse 1. It says, To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifices of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. And let me tell you why this is so difficult to hear. At the beginning, Solomon goes, Okay, you feel like you're in a dry period? Sin is besieging you? Okay, pay attention to your feet. And this year is his next advice. He says, draw near to listen. And this is quite difficult, all right, to hear because when, when God feels far from you, you don't feel like you're hearing anything. Am I right? And Solomon's going, you know what you need to do? You need to listen to God. And you're like, hello. I'm trying. I mean, that's my purpose for entering the temple, right? I've stepped into the temple of God and I don't feel like he's saying much. And Solomon is saying, no, no, no. You're not really listening because listening means Shema. And Shema means obeying. You're eventually going to have to wrestle through and decide for yourselves right now whether the scriptures are true. Because if you really believe that the whole Bible is true, then you allow it to be the foundation of everything that you say and do. Amen? Do you believe in what is being revealed? And are you obeying all the scriptures have revealed to us about who God is and what He has called us to do? Because verse 1, it says, drawing close to listen is better than all of your sacrifices. To hear means to obey. And Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verse 4 to 5, is a famous Shema. It says, Shema all Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord with your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. By saying this, a Jew will remind himself of his commitment to the Lord to dedicate himself to following God and obeying and doing his will. And some Jews even teach their kids the Shema as soon as they are learning to talk. And the word Shema here means take heed or obey. And this gives us a clue why Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the highest form of worship through the Hebrew eyes is the study and obedience of the Word of God. Amen? You need to place yourself under the authority of the Word of God. Or are you just obeying, choosing to obey what you choose to obey? Do you just feel good for a moment because you nitpick what you want to obey? And you just feel good about yourself. Malaysia shocks in the re- <laughs> Just feel good about yourself. For example, a man in the business world comes across Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, which talks about the issue of honesty. He says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. So what does he do? He thinks of all the areas that he's being honest. 
for instance, is he honest to his wife? Yeah, better be lah, don't they? Is he honest to his kids? Yeah, I'm honest to my kids. Is he honest to his colleagues? Yeah, I'm honest to my colleagues. So he pat himself in the back. I'm obeying the scripture. But meanwhile, he overlooks the fact that he's only partially honest with his clients and his competitors. He never even thinks about that area. And when the Lord um, begins to convict and places a finger on his heart, he ignores it. It remains a blind spot to him. And with the, with the result that the truth will never affect that entire part of his life. And sometimes when we don't want to shema, we just keep ourselves busy with religious activities. In Isaiah chapter 1, it says, when you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary in bearing them. And in another place in Isaiah, God says, I hate your fast. I'm like, are you kidding me? Because I'd rather eat, man. I'm like, why am I fasting? And God says, no, I, I, I see your fast and I hate them because your hearts are not with me. And we do the same thing. We fall into the rut of just going through the motions over and over again because that's just what Christians do. That's just what we do. We go through the same motion and we do religious things, but our hearts are not in it. It's possible for people to show up for worship services week after week, month after month, year after year, and their lives are not changed. That's too harsh to their spouses, no love towards people, no affections for the Lord as they have always been. Not only can we fall into the rut, we can also adopt the mindset that our religious rituals will somehow gain us God's favor. And we can offer something to God like our service, even our money or our, or our attendance in all the services, okay? Because we think that it will cause God to give us what we want. I remember there was a period of my life I was in a very dark place. I was struggling with anger and uh, jealousy. I was, too, I was in full time in that period. And then I, but God was beginning to poke his finger on certain issues of my heart. But I really wanted to get myself busy because oh, the more, the busier I get, I can just drown out his voice. So I went to Pastor Yang. I said, Pastor Yang, I'm from the training equipping department. Let me go to Bible school. I said, this is very good. So I give the excuse. I need to bring up the training equipping. I need to go to Bible school. You know what did Pastor Yang say? No lah. Go busy that you. Go to Bible College of Wales. I said, okay. So I went to Bible College of Wales. And uh, one unique thing about BCW is it's not just the lessons learned. After that, you do your homework. You go to your room and just like study. No, no. The main thing of BCW is after the word has been preached, okay, there's time of response. People will be crying and wailing, confessing their sin. And I hated that. Or like, wow, because God began to poke his finger in my heart. I'm like, wow, I don't want this. Why go Bible school like that? So, so I walk out and I go from one building to the other building. I go toilet for very long. Walk here, walk there. Pastor Tim O'Connor was the principal at that time. Wow, bless his heart. He came to me after a few days. You really got diarrhea. You always go for one hour, one hour. Because I, I really could not stand the fact that God was pointing his finger on my heart. I tried to run away from the voice. So I, I, I just, just keep walking around, walking around. But eventually, God began to break down the levels of my hostility and my pride and slowly began to heal me, heal me. But there's still a portion of my heart that's not really fully surrendered to God. And during that period, um, dark sheets came to OBCW and I wanted to be very busy again. I wanted to, 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 to get myself busy, to drown the last bit of the voice of the Lord. So I said to Priscilla, who was working there, okay, let me be your service pay. Let me just carry it back. Let me just um, um, serve morning, afternoon, night. I, I, know it was, I know it was rest. Just let me just be busy. And uh, we were having 
like night, nightly meetings and, and I was serving, serving, serving. But God was beginning to speak to me slowly and slowly and slowly. And um, eventually, the, the night before that she left, I was just in my room and it got crashing on me. Three hours, I was praying and praying. I was weeping. I said, God, forgive me, Lord. I give that part to you. I want to shema. I give that part to you. And the next morning, um, we were about to send Dutchies off. And uh, he came to me, and uh, because I've been carrying his bag and just helping him, he looked at me. I, I, he has this face, like, want to give you a prophetic word. So I'm like, oh, Lyle, oh, come, come on. <laughs> and he said, you have learned to shama, haven't you, young man? I said, yes, I have. And I'm like, come on, give me more. He said, God bless you. <laughs> he went to the car. Like, ah, that's it. But I, that, that was such a powerful moment of my life. When God speaks to you, shama, don't just... Occupy yourself with religious activities, with fast and everything. But when he speaks to you, press in, press in and obey. Amen? Okay, let's look at what happens next in verse 2. It says, so far we heard we need to guard our steps, draw near to listen, place ourselves under the word of God. And look at this, it says, verse 2, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. Our God is a speaking God. He's not silent. And the word is constantly speaking to existence, us and everything else that exists. And we would do well to listen more and speak less. And when we do speak, to not only speak what, but to only speak what he says, okay? Not just what comes to our mind. Why do I say this? Because instead of listening and waiting, sometimes all we like to do is keep talking. And we try to make excuses for what is happening in our lives. We start assuming everything is our responsibility to explain to others what's happening to us and what the doctrine of suffering is. I feel like sometimes we feel like it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's our responsibility to defend the sovereignty of God. We try to explain with our lofty theology why things are happening and the Lord is saying, hold up, let your words be few. I'm in heaven, I'm sovereign, I have the greater vantage point, I know what's happening. I don't need your eloquence in this season. I don't need to exp- you to explain to people what's happening. I want your words to be few. Forget the crowd. Forget the listeners. Draw near to listen. I want to speak to you. I'm reminded of a story in Job. The wisest thing that Job's friends did were when they sat down with him for one week and said nothing. They started being, can I use the word stupid? They started being foolish when they started talking and reasoning. And Job in turn turned to them and said, you're all physicians but of no value. We keep talking and talking about no value. And sometimes all we need to do is to be silent and don't try to rationalize or make excuses. And the Lord is saying, come into my presence, speak to me, draw near to me, and I will speak to you. Ask me right now, this is very important, ask me why you are in this season and what I'm doing through your life and in your life during this season and start being honest with me. You know what's something I realize clearly from Scripture? It seems like a lot of times God is more pleased with authentic prayer, even if what is prayed is not true, than He is with long, uh, uh, eloquent prayers. Are you okay? Some of you look quite stumbled. Okay, let me give you an example. David in the Psalm says, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? And if you read the text, God doesn't just show up and go, Actually, David, I don't forget stuff, I'm God. Therefore, your prayers are liar, and I leave you in a desert. Good luck out there. It's a lie. But no, he doesn't. But here's the truth. That's an absolutely false prayer. He says, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forget you? Are you kidding me, David? Do you remember Goliath? Do you remember my journey with you, with Saul? Do you remember my mercies to you in the Bathsheba situation? Forget you? 
Are you serious? But God doesn't respond like that. What does he do? Instead, he draws nearer to David and meets him where he is. God is never stumbled with you when you're too honest with him. Draw near and be honest with him. Amen? And don't be too quick to craft a sermon or explanation on why you're in a particular season. Draw near, let your words be few, and listen. Alright? Very quickly, verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you owe, and it's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger or the priest that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Let me try to explain. This is quite a confusing verse. Let me try to explain to you what is happening here. When the word of God is preached, perhaps in service, um, and we, when we see under the scriptures, what will happen is that a lot of times truth will be drilled into our hearts under the power of the Holy Spirit. And that truth will begin to resonate within our souls. Let me try to unpack it a bit more. Okay, for example, we are sitting either in cell group or in service, and a preacher talks about the need for us to walk in community, the need for us to make a change in our lifestyle, to walk in holiness, to make a decision, and we will be so convicted, and something inside of us will say, yes, this is the word for me, I need this. And one of the things we have historically said in Cornerstone is, that we always keep repeating is, this is an okay place for you to not be, to be okay. But you don't have to stay that way. You can come just as you are, but you don't have to leave just as you are. Is that right? We always say this. And maybe when the conviction comes and you say, yes, I need to do that, I'm going to change. And what's happening is the Holy Spirit inside of you is saying, you are in the desert, but this, this is the way to water. The water for you is perhaps freedom ministry. The water perhaps for you is biblical and marital counseling. The water for you is, is here through confession, accountability, and community. And if we are honest with ourselves, a lot of times we live here with good intentions. And we get caught up in a moment of enthusiasm or crisis. And in that moment, we make a promise to God or some kind of vow. We make a solemn vow to God and we sit here and say, this is the week. I'm doing this. I'm walking away from my sin. I'm sick and tired of my mess. But you know what the sad thing is? We live here and we do nothing. We always live here with empty vows and good intentions and nothing changes. And there are a lot of people with good intentions who end up in hell. And here's what the preacher is saying, is that in that moment when the Spirit of God begins to woo your heart, listen to the voice. It's the Holy Spirit guiding you out unto water, guiding you to the springs of water. And sometimes a lot of us, we just refuse to make any changes. And then in true spiritual pouting form, we stay in our mess and we complain about being stuck despite the fact that it was our own decision. And God has been all along showing us in His mercy and grace how to get out of the desert. And a merciful God is saying, instead of just making that vow, how about instead you just take active steps to just do? Are we just going to be people with good intentions who make silent vows to the Lord? Because intentions can never replace the action of biblical obedience. Some of you, God, perhaps in January, have been telling you to have prayer meetings, to start going for on-site prayer meetings, or to go to cell group, and you're saying, oh yes, I'm convicted, yes, you're inspired. But you leave, after months later, you're still the same. Because good intentions are never good enough. You can change your life today if you start what you have determined to do. The Apostle James said, do not just be hearers of the word, only deceiving yourself, but be doers of the word. 
in, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus told a parable of the wise and foolish men. They were both building houses. They both heard the word, but, and the only difference between those two men was the wise man heard the word and he did it. He built on the rock. The foolish man built on sand and the one on sand suffered great loss. Nolan Bushwell, the founder of Atari Computer, said this, everyone who has taken a shower has had an idea, but it's the person who gets out of the shower, dries off and does something about it that makes a difference. Do it now, it's more than just a motto. It's a lifestyle, it's a way of life. Character grows when do it now becomes a reality. Unless we have a follow-through plan, there's not going to be a lot we've accomplished once this service is over. There must be action, amen? When, when you hear, some of you in the first meeting, you hear Bob talking about prayer and travailing. You get inspired. Say, oh, I want to do this. I want to call people. Do not just have that intention in your heart. Start start somewhere. And I promise you, okay, sometimes you may fall in the first few tries, okay, but you need to know it's not your self-will, it's by the grace of God. It's grace-filled effort. I just have another story, if you can. I remember years ago, we had a men's meeting, and our pastor, Pastor Young and Dian, uh, and even Pastor Tim O'Connor was speaking, right, um, how to be a good father, a good husband, a good um, son. Remember that, 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 that convocation? And then we had a powerful ministry time while people were crying, and we were just ministering to people. And then this older chap, I, I, I think he was in his 50s to 60s, he was in the front praying, crying to the Lord, and I felt led to pray for him, and I prayed for him, and then he, he with tears in his eyes, he told me that, God told me to do something, but I'm very afraid. He said that um, God told me to start family devotions in my family. And, but I'm, I'm new to my faith. I'm a new believer. And uh, the worst thing is I've committed adultery in the past, but I've confessed my sin. My wife and my, and my kids, they're all believers, okay? But, but it's very hard for them to trust me again. And even though I'm new, I want to make this, I want to make this uh, dedication, but I don't know how. I don't even know how to do communion. So at that moment, I like, like show him the scripture. And you do communion, you follow this scripture, let's do it. Lah. It's okay. You, just, just do it. And he was so excited. He said, okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to start. Okay. Um, I've not, I did not see him in that one week, but uh, I think after two weeks, I, uh, sorry, not two weeks. After three weeks, I saw him. I was very excited. Hey, brother, how is it? How is it? He, he was like, oh, I cannot. I cannot. I mean, I, I want to quit because I tried, but I stumbled, I fumbled, and I, I look at the eyes of my kids and my wife. They, they, they want to believe me, but I can see that, oh, there's doubt, and, and it was very awkward, okay, the first three minutes, and after that, we just closed halfway, and I think I, I think I will stop doing it. Maybe it's not just my culture. I mean, I, because of what I've done in the past and I'm not that fluent, I don't even know uh, very well what's the assurance of salvation. And perhaps I need to go through certain classes first, but I felt the Spirit of the Lord told me, just do it and God will honor your effort. Just do it. Just keep persevering. So I did not see him for very long. But after six months, I saw him again and then he came to me. I didn't go to him because he first saw me. He ran up to me and said, do you know what happened? I, tr- I listen to what you say, day after day, wow, awkward, la, awkward. No one, like, wow, I don't know, have you tried a prayer meeting in your family and no one, got, no one has any heart? Wow, you say, very awkward. But there was one night after a few months, the spirit got crashing. We reconciled, we confessed, we were broken in tears and wow, we were both prophesying over one another. And ever since then, almost every night we've been praying together as a family. He felt at, at first, he had good intentions, but he followed through because of the grace and the Spirit of God. And let me tell you this, at the end, God is speaking to some of your hearts about this. God is provoking your heart right now. I recently met uh, this guy, he told me that um, in the, 
the service in January this year, God told him to start going to cell group, to be part of a community. And then I met him, <laughs> I think August. He said, hey, Pastor Elijah, I still have not found the perfect cell. I said, brother, if after eight months you cannot find the right cell group, even you reach heaven, cannot find all. <laughs> I mean, like, you need to start doing something. It's eight months. Don't just have good intentions and be provoked in services. Don't just go to altar call, lift up your hands and cry. But at the end of the day, when you leave the door, start doing something. And it's not by your own effort. It's not by your skill. But it's by the grace of God. And He's faithful. He's faithful to enable you to do what He's called you to do. Amen? Amen? Okay, lastly, I want to make an unpopular statement. Sometimes God ordains the desert. Sometimes it's not an attack from the enemy. Sometimes God placed you in the desert to speak to us. And when we are in the desert, we need to ask the Lord, what are you doing in my heart, Lord? The wilderness speaks of the trials and testings that God leads us in order to teach us obedience. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says that the Lord led Israel for 40 years in the wilderness to work with them humility, obedience, and purity. And recently I've been reading um, the book of Hosea to prepare for a class. And um, it's a real family-friendly book. Read to your wives, not joking. Um, but it's in the middle of the Old Testament. And Hosea was just a normal man doing his own thing. And suddenly the Spirit of the Lord came over him and God spoke to him and said, Listen, I want you to marry a prostitute. I want you to marry a woman of ill repute. He's like, huh, seriously? Can you say it again? I want you to marry a prostitute. And here's the thing, Hosea. She's going to be horrible to you. She's going to cheat on you over and over and over again. She's going to betray you. And each time she does, I'm going to increase your love for her that you can't wash your hands of it and walk away. And then you're going to grieve, yes, you're going to hurt and you're going to travail, but I'm not going to let you walk away from her. And you know what's the first thing that struck to me about this story is God told Hosea up front. It's like, no surprise, like, I'm going to do this to you. It's like, not like Job. Uh. Job, I think at the end of his life, still don't know, what's happened, <laughs> don't know what happened in the heavenlies, but Hosea is like, I'm going to do this to you and you're going to need to respond in this measure. And I want, you look, I want you to look at chapter 2 and for me, this really broke my heart and revealed so much about the nature of our Lord. And this is one of those difficult verses that stirs my heart. And here's what God says to, in Hosea. He says, here's what I'm going to do to Gomer, your cheating wife, which is the representation of the children of Israel. I'm going to take her out to the desert I'm going to allure her, and out in the desert, she will finally get tired of her old life. And you want to know the character of our God? Listen to what snakes. He said, there I will speak tenderly to her. So take a look at this. He doesn't go out, bring her to the desert, and, and say, shame on you, you filthy animal, you sinful creature. You are in the desert, and you deserve to be punished. He doesn't take her out to the desert to humiliate her or to condemn her. He says, I'm going to take her out to the desert. And when she's exhausted of herself, there I will speak tenderly to her and I will increase her vineyards. In the Old Testament, wine and joy are this parallel, they are equal. So like if you see wine mentioned, it's usually talking about the increase in joy. In fact, even King David said, you fill me with greater joy than when grain and new wine abound. Another psalm says, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for men to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the hearts of men. And so God says, I will bring her to the wilderness. I need to walk her in there because sometimes, sometimes the only way to kill certain things is to deprive it of water or block her way to her former idols that she loves because she still does not recognize who I am. I'm going to allure her and out in the desert, she'll finally get tired of her old life. And then I will speak tenderly to her and give her joy and hope. 
Look at me right now. Because the next line is so beautiful and encouraging. He says, And out there where it's dry, she'll finally learn to stop remembering her old lovers. She will stop calling me the name of her old idol Bill. She will start calling me husband. Please hear me. I think one of the main reasons you're in a dry period is not because God's angry with you, not because God's cruel, but because He's altogether good. He desperately loves you. And right now, for some of you, the reason why you can't find Him is because He desperately wants you to search for Him and He's leading you to the desert. Perhaps you've been wooed out there and maybe God say, okay, I'm going to kill some stuff in your heart right now. I need to stuff some idols out of you. Let's go. But you will never be alone because I will always there with you. And the wilderness is not always a place of barrenness. It can also be a place of blessing. Amen. I think sometimes we don't extol the glory of the wilderness enough. Some of Psalms chapter 8 verse 5 says, who is this coming out of the wilderness leaning from his arms? When we go through the wilderness and let the bridegroom, the king of kings, the Lord of Lord form us, or pride is stripped away and we come out from it leaning on his arm, dependent on him. Let's rise to our feet. I just want to pray for some of you today. I want to close in prayer. But perhaps God has been speaking to you, not just now, but since the start of the year to do something. Perhaps it's something in your family life, perhaps in your prayer life, perhaps it's to do something. And you usually live excited and full of courage. Say, I will do this, I will do this. But after that, either you're distracted or there's hindrance or fear. You know, in the book of um, Numbers, it says that fear is like showing contempt to the Lord. It's easy to have revelation. God sees you, God shows you, to the, shows you the land at the top of the cliff. But it takes faith to go down and possess all that God has given you. And some of you, God is speaking to you to do something. And, and you're saying, right now, I want to do it. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for us. Father, we give thanks for your word. Your word cleanses, your word washes, your word gives, gives us hope. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, we will come to a place we know it's not just by our strong will, but it's by your grace in your life in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray you have put something in the hearts of your people to do something you have called them to do. And Father, we pray that we will walk out here not the same, not transformed in the image of your Son. And Lord, we pray for faith to arise. And Lord, I pray for those of us in the desert, please. Give us new lenses to see that you're driving us there. You're walking us there tenderly, not because you are evil, not because you are cruel, not because you want to condemn us, but because you are altogether good. And you want to starve the idols of our hearts. You want us to be perfect and mature before you. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, form us into the image of your Son. We bless you. We honor you. And now I pray the blessings of God upon you. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and grant you His peace. And may the blessings of God the Father, the strength and grace of Christ the Son, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. And all God's people say, Amen. Let's give God a praise offering. Amen. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.